they're all thirsty, they're complaining. And God said, you go out and you speak to that rock and water will pour forth. And Moses had a bad attitude and he went out there and he struck a rock twice and water poured forth. The Israelites all drank and God told them, because you didn't honor me as holy, you will not go into the promised land. So that was the sin. Forty years later, here we are in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 3, starting in verse 23. Oh, let's start in verse 21. At that time I commanded Joshua, You have seen with your own eyes all the Lord your God has done to these two kings. The Lord will do the same to all the kingdoms over there where you are going. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. At that time I pleaded with the Lord. O sovereign Lord, you begun to show your servant your greatness and your strong hand. For what God is there in heaven and on earth who can do the deeds and mighty works you do? Let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that fine hill country in Lebanon. But because of you, the Lord was angry with me and would not listen to me. That is enough, the Lord said. Do not speak to me about any more about this matter. Go up to the top of Pigsaw and look west and north and south and east. Look at the land with your own eyes since you are not going to cross this Jordan. But commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him. For he will lead his people across and will cause them to inherit the land you will see. So we stayed in the valley near Beth Peor. Go over to chapter 4. Verse 21. The Lord was angry with me because of you. He's talking to the Israelites. And he solemnly swore that I would not cross the Jordan and enter the good land. The Lord your God is giving you as your inheritance. I will die in this land. I will not cross the Jordan. But you are about to cross over and take possession of that good land. Be careful not to forget the covenant the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make for yourselves an idol the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, jealous God. You say, what's going on here? And these aren't the only occasions in the book of Deuteronomy. You say, how's Moses feeling? He's still not resolved about it. He's like, God, you're amazing. I look at all the incredible things. And he's, and he's telling Israel, at that time I pleaded, God, please let me go in and see it. And God said, no, and quit bringing it up. See, God knows what it's like to have teenagers. You say, was he resolved then? No, because then a little bit later. Yeah, God was, God was angry with me. Why? Because of you. It's your fault. You guys complained, and it made me mad, and then I struck the rock, and now God's mad at me. And it wasn't my fault. It was your complaining Israel's fault. You know what? Moses never really got fully resolved about the consequences of his sin. Forty years later, and he's still begging to go into promised land. And he's still blame shifting. 
didn't take responsibility for the penalty. But God punished him anyway. Oh, he forgave him. But the consequences lasted. You got any penalties in your life you won't take responsibility for? You know, you won't take responsibility until you accept the fact that no one sins except by his own evil desire. James 1. You can't blame anybody else for your sin. Now, I'm not saying that they didn't make you angry. But God still holds us accountable for the decisions that we make. And in many cases, there's a lifetime of consequences from what at the time didn't seem like that big a deal. God's holiness mattered to him. I mean, you know, in the whole scheme of life, you look at it and you go, okay, God's, you know, Moses still went out there. He stood before the people. Okay, instead of speaking to the rock, he struck the rock. I mean, okay, so what? Is it that big of a deal? It was to God. You see, God is very precise about his commandments. And he takes it personally. If we try and rewrite the scriptures, if we try and update the Bible for the 21st century, you know, there's a lot of things being approved by churches today that are very clearly taught against in the scriptures. And I can tell you what, what it boils down to is whether or not you believe the Word of God was fine the way it was written or whether you want to change it to fit into what society says is normal. You know, I, I, I make a habit of reading the New International Version, but I always get the 1984 edition. Because you know what? They revised the 1984 edition. And you know why they revised it? Because they were worried that women would get offended because a lot of times when it's just addressing the church, it says brothers. So they didn't want to offend anyone. So that where it said brothers, they just changed it. Brothers and sisters. I'm like, why? The Bible's done more for women's rights than any other book in history. Christianity has elevated women. And we're like, wow, we want to rewrite the Bible to make sure nobody's offended? You know what? I think God did a pretty good job the way it's written now. We need to worry more about truth than political correctness. But it's not good enough to be close enough. It's not okay to mostly obey. When God says, here's what you got to do. If you don't do it just exactly that way, he throws the penalty flag. You know, sometimes if we don't get penalized immediately, we think that we got away with it. 
And so we wrongly assume that it's okay. Since nothing bad happened, God must be fine. No, some consequences linger. Did I really pray for each one of us that we will take God's word seriously, just the way it is? That we won't try and change it, we won't try and modify it, that we'll just say, hey, whatever it says, that's what I'm going to obey. Because the consequences are life-threatening. Souls are on the line. Your soul is on the line. Those who are watching you, their soul is on the line. I can tell you, more damage has been done by people who professed Christianity and sinned to the future faith of observers than by any other thing. I can't tell you how many times as a minister people just say, you know, there was this person and they said they were a Christian and then I watched them live their life. I don't want to have anything to do with it. There's huge consequences. You know, Moses didn't get resolved about it. He didn't take responsibility. He was still blaming the Israelites. But God did not change his stand. Unfortunately, in life, penalties can be game changers. And I really pray for each one of us that we can set our sights on righteous living. Wholehearted, 100%. That we don't have this line of You know, as long as I don't sin more than whatever arbitrary line we set. But we say no sin is okay. My goal is zero sin. And that is the only standard that I'm going to live according to. And whatever sins we've committed that we take responsibility. We don't blame anybody else. Where we stand before God, it doesn't matter what anybody else did. What God holds us accountable to is the decision that we made. They'll be accountable for their decision. Let's commit to righteousness. Finally, I want to look at passion. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 4. You know, watching some of the football games... You can see how entire teams show up motivated or entire teams show up without passion at all. And I'm not going to name names. But there there are some teams that you watch them play and you go, They don't even want to be here. Oh, they're on the field. But they're not playing hard. You can see it on the sidelines. You can see it in the stands. You can see it with the coach. And you go, why why would they do that? You know, why would they attend? Why would they go to all the trouble to attending? And then uh, give it 100%. 
You know, it doesn't make any sense. If you've got to be there, you might as well give it your best. But nevertheless, passion is a major determining factor in the outcome of battle. They say, who's going to give 110%? Sometimes they say, who wants it more? Who's passionate about it? Jesus, who's got the faith? The persistent widow. I mean, there's passages in there of just the, the perseverance and the fire, the people that will not give up. Deuteronomy 4. Moses is trying to mo- motivate the Israelites. And look what he says in, in cha- chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. He says, What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great to have such right, righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I'm setting before you today? Moses told the Israelites, We're special. said, you know what, all the nations, they've got their gods. But you know what we have? We have an almighty God that draws near to us whenever we pray. And what a privilege. He said, not only that, but God's given us his word. He's made it clear. He's made his will just, you know, so obvious. He's put it in print. So we know what to do. He said, you should feel special about that. You know, Jesus said it differently in, in uh, Matthew 18. He says, when two or more gathered together in my name, I will be with you. There's something special when we pray. By God's design. You know, you're not mailing him a letter hoping for a reply. When we pray, he comes right there, he sits down with you, and he's like, all right, tell me about it. He gives you a hug. He holds your hand. He goes on walks with you. He sits under a tree with you. He's in the car with you. He says, he draws near to you. Whenever you pray. I mean, isn't that amazing? Like we can be living our life and all of a sudden we decide to pray and God's like, oh yeah, okay, I'm right there. You know, he's doing his heavenly business and you start praying. He's like, Michael, I'll be right back. Son, what's on your heart? Daughter, how's your day? God gets so fired up to draw near whenever you pray. Say, what a privilege. Is prayer a privilege? Is it a checklist? Is it a burden? Yeah, one of my favorite restaurants is Lowry's. They do one thing well, prime rib. And, uh, you know, if you walk into the restaurant, um, they have these pictures of the beef bowl. 
And you say, well, what, you know, football game is that? Well, there's the Rose Bowl. And way back, I think in the 50s, they started this tradition at Lowry's that the two football teams playing in the Rose Bowl would go. And it started and it was a competition. Prime rib. I love that. A prime rib eating competition before you go and play a big football game. And I don't know who the Pac-10 representative was, but I know the Big Ten representative was the University of Iowa. And I know that Iowa won by like 150 pounds. I said I was not surprised to, to hear that. But you go, it's, now it's just something they do is they go and they eat prime rib and they celebrate and they have a good time. It's not a competition anymore. It's just a big dinner. We go, that's one of the privileges of being able to go to the Rose Bowl. If you win the Rose Bowl, then you get to wear a Rose Bowl ring. You know, if you're the coach, you get bonus money for that. I mean, there's privileges of being able to go to that event. God says, you are my treasured possession. And I'm going to set up some privileged status for you. You don't need a platinum card. You don't need the black carbon fiber card. Just because you're my son or my daughter, I will give you the privileged status. Go to chapter 7. And Moses tells Israel, verse 1, When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess and drives out before you many nations... The Hittites, the Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Seven nations larger and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them. Show them no mercy. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. And the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. This is what you're to do to them. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, cut down their astral poles, and burn their idols in a fire. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. You know what God's saying? I chose you. You're treasured. So act like it. You know, one one of the games, uh, the news reported that two players broke curfew. And so they they got sent home and didn't get to play in the game. You know, curfew is pretty clear. Be, Be in your hotel room at this time. A team rule. And these two players for this one team decided not, not going to. So they got sent home. They were important players. They still got sent home. Yeah, why'd they get sent home? Because they didn't act like the representatives they were supposed to be. You see, God says, you're a treasured people. You've you got to live that way. God's people live differently than the rest of the world. To to what extent? He says, make no treaty with them. Show them no mercy. 
Why? Because it will turn your heart away. You know, when you become a Christian, it redefines your whole life. That's why it's called being born again. It's not called self-improvement. It's not Christian fatty exercises. It's total revamping of everything. Say, what sense does it make to revamp your entire life and then try and hang on to the world? Let me just hang on to this worldliness. God's like, no, you're my treasured people. Act like it. You're my representatives to the world. Act like it. I chose you out of all the people of the world. You know, in 1 Peter chapter 2, here's where we're going to close. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 9. You are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world, abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You know what they're saying? Live with passion. Be so awesome that even your enemies have to go, man, she's doing a great job. I don't agree with her values, but wow, she's an amazing employee. I wish I had a hundred of her. Man, he's incredible. His attitude is awesome. I wish every employee I had had his attitude. Just live with passion. You know somebody has passion when you start to root for them. When you start to respect them and value them. And want to imitate them. You see, that's, that's what God has called you to. He said, you're a holy people. You're chosen. Royalty. You know, the, the, I think she's the princess. And she's going to have a baby. I don't even remember her name. But she's going to have a baby. And that's all over the news. I care a lot more about the fact that, that Jill and Felix are going to have a baby. But apparently the worldwide news cares way more that she's going to have a baby. Yeah, royalty. You think about it. You got royalty. I mean, like, what, what does royalty do? You just go around and eat great meals and attend, like, royal things? 
and wave like this, you know. Hey, come on, there's not a one of us that we see stuff like that and we go, what would it be like if I was the king? I mean, what would it be like? Like, what would you do? What could you do? That'd be cool. God says, you know what? You are. Yeah, you know, the world news may not put you on it. He says, you're a royal priesthood. In the eyes of of the only person that matters. So what a privilege. You know, we win this race. God is not going to give us a ring. You know why? Because a ring would be far too cheesy. He gives a crown. He gives a welcome. It says, well done, good and faithful servant. It says, live your life with passion. Because it's a difference maker. It's a highlight. And Moses is doing his best to inspire the troops before they go into the promised land. Because passion is going to win the day. I like one coach that said, you need to have a fire in your belly. You, know, you need to have a fire in your belly about your Christianity. You're a treasured people. You belong to God. You represent Him. Live like it. You know, Moses is about to go to the top of Mount Nebo and die. He's recounting some of the highlights right before Israel goes and takes possession of the promised land. You know, there's a highlight reel for your life. What's on it? What events are waiting to be recorded? God set you up for victory. Oh, it probably won't happen the way we want it. Because in some cases, it's going to happen little by little. Because there's a far more important victory God wants to accomplish. He's setting you up for a lifetime of success. Let's trust Him and the guidance in our life. Let's eliminate the penalties. Say no to sin. Do not tolerate any in your life. Set a goal to live every day without sin. And if you do sin, take responsibility and repent immediately. People say, how do you do well spiritually for a long, long time? Say, don't have two bad days in a row. Think about that one. Because you know, if you have a bad day, you're like, oh, gosh, I had a bad day. One way I want. Well, you know what? But if it, tomorrow's a good day, you, you're not going to get into too much trouble. But when you start linking together bad days... Then you're going to end up in the pit somewhere. Eliminate the penalties and live with passion. It's a difference maker. Have the fire in your belly. You're a chosen people. You're holy to God. He's called you to great things. Live like it. Amen. Let's stand as we close in a final song.